live. I don't know if people are going to look right for us. I'm going to check your phone. This is so funny when I lean forward. Um, I don't know yeah, if you I... Look like, you look like a, little, like a dog going right up to the camera. <laughs> I don't know about getting questions. Oh, there you go. But See, how are we going to be able... Look, can we read them on my... How right am I going to read those? Well, it's going to be hard. Um, Can we get questions on your thing? Let's see. Hi, everybody. Hi, guys. We're figuring out the technical aspects. I don't know about questions, unfortunately, um, because I can't really see. We're so bad at technology. We need. Like I thought a, you were good. No, I'm medium. We need like a, a we young... Should have, we should have a third person here. We need a young intern. Yeah, is there any way for someone else to log into my Instagram account and get questions? Um, I mean, Renee? Can, we, can your phone do that? Can yeah. you log into my Instagram account? Sure. And have that scrolling up so we could actually look down at it? Sure. Okay. Hold on one sec. Okay. So we were both at birth last night. Two separate ones. <laughs> uh, I want to send out congratulations to Cecilia and Bernie. Is that? Is they, that? Had a, they had a uh, birthing center breach delivery yesterday. And there were elbow bumps all around. Don't know how. Should we do our help? Should we greet? Okay. Yeah, he, he wanted to have social distancing. We don't exactly have yeah, too much social too distancing close. right now. Um, I don't know how to do that. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that means I'm going to have to look like a puppy dog looking into the screen. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Okay. Well, we're going to just talk for a little bit first. We're going to look at... Oh, you can see... It's working fine, Christy said. Hi, honey. How are you? Um, okay, so yeah. we're on Instagram Live and Facebook Live. Facebook is on Dr. Stu's podcast. So if you go search for Dr. Stu's podcast, you can find us live there. And then Birthing Instincts. It's also on your thing, too. Instagram. No, oh, no, we only have these two right now. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to post a question, it's better to go to Dr. Stu's podcast uh, on Facebook because that screen is bigger for us. <laughs> we're using my phone for Instagram, and it's... Far away, and plus I left my glasses at the office yesterday, so I'm hopeless. But we're here, and we love you guys. And if you have never listened to our podcast, one of the things that we often do is talk about our births um, and catch up. So I think I thought it would be nice to just kind of talk yeah. about our, how was your birth last night. It was great. She was great. She was. So uh, these are out of hospital births, and which is what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, she, um, the lovely couple, uh, second baby. Uh, very nervous about having a breech baby though, and uh, got over it. It did great, had a ruptured membranes at four in the morning yesterday, and uh, about 17 hours later went into labor, had a six hour labor, and uh, had, a, had an incomplete breech. Uh, we knew that though. Mm -hmm. One leg was folded, one leg was <laughs> and uh, she did great. And it was exciting, and the baby was great. Had Afghars of eight and nine, eight pounds. When did she come into care? Because I think this could be 36, important. 35 to 36 weeks she came into care. And that's often for um, people who are, find out that they're breached later, right? Right. Like sometimes they come, they, they contact me earlier, and I essentially just tell them to do all the things that we tell most breech moms to try the inversions, the spinning babies. Um, the chiropractic work, the Webster technique, the acupuncture, moxibustion, try those things. If at 37 weeks you um, are still breached, then it's a good time for a consult, unless you need more information sooner. And then um, if they're a good candidate for an external version, which uh, Cecilia was not, we tried it anyway because she was a multip, but the reason she wasn't is one leg was up, one leg was down. She had a, a fluid index that was fairly low. She had a placenta that was in the way and um, 
uh, and she was really in good physical shape. She has a resting pulse of about 48 or 50. Wow. Yeah, I know. So those are things that go contrary to turning. We tried to turn the baby gently. It didn't even budge. I think Dr. Berlin actually tried to do it too and uh, couldn't get the baby to turn. So we ended up waiting and she went to 40 weeks and four days and delivered it after midnight. So 40 weeks and five days. So the reason I asked about late start is because a lot of people who are considering switching from hospital to home birth are going to be coming in later in the game. And so um, that's just a consideration for birth workers always. But in this time, I think a lot of us are making accommodations and really trying to make space for people who want to have this option especially in the light of some of the changes that have been happening in the hospital. Have you had uh, a lot of people contacting you? I have. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I'm full for May. That's where most of my inquiries have been. But, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I've had a few. I don't think I've had as many as most of the midwives have had. But I've been in contact with a lot of the midwives, and, and everybody seems to be... Yeah. Um, people are, are reaching out, at least for information. Yeah. I spoke to someone yesterday that was... Um, that was 39 weeks, so we'll check back in today and see whether or not they feel comfortable with this option. But yeah, and if any of you, I mean, most of you in the Southern California area who know me, if you want to just send me a private message, let me know that you have a space available. We can always send people, uh, direct people your way if they contact me. Um, I still have a little bit of space available, and I'm, you know, as long as I'm working with a midwife, I can generally go from here, here to there and cover more than an average, but that's nice. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep it going hopefully um okay so my birth last night um was very quick it was with a family who had delivered with me as their monitrice a couple of years ago actually almost exactly two years ago their daughter will be two on sunday um and this time decided to do um a home birth so it was um, it was awesome. She lived eight minutes from me. We got there. We set up everything. We did the initial vitals. She thought she we were there too early because last time she had a long delivery. Um, we were trying to set up the tub. <laughs> this is like the third one in a row. <laughs> we didn't make it. She pushed uh, maybe three times um, standing up in her bathroom. Yeah. So um, beautiful. Um, yeah, so no complications. What you're saying is that only multiparous women should have babies. No. Maybe you're saying that. <laughs> no. I'm not saying that. Hey, by the way, do you guys see my shirt? It says Love More. Yeah. I wanted to say thank you to Mary. Say her last name. Yana, oh, Yanagawa. Yanagawa. I always right. mess up last names. So thank you for thinking of me and sending this to me. I adore it. I love it. It's so comfy. Yeah, Mary lives in Anchorage. Yeah, then I have my... Physicians for Informed Consent uh, t-shirt on, <laughs> specifically so. that, because they have been out there in the forefront um, for the last several years because of all the uh, vaccine legislation that's been going on. This organization was formed to look at more evidence-based stuff rather than knee-jerk uh, vaccinating everybody all the time for everything. Yeah. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing. I, I, you know, I've been following, we can talk a little bit more about COVID or SARS-CoV. Stu just two. came in and said that they have officially changed the name. So yeah, it's now S A R S dash C little O big V dash two, but you can call it COVID nineteen or you can call it the coronavirus, right. or you can even call it the Chinese virus if you want to call it that. Why? I've well, never heard of that. Oh, that's a there's a political thing about people ah. saying that that's 
faked it or something. But that oh. all all the all, lots of diseases are named after where they start. So oh. I don't want to even get into that. Yeah, I was gonna say we're not gonna. <laughs> that get was a joke. That was a <laughs> joke. All right, it wasn't a very good joke, but it was a joke. Uh, nonetheless, what was I talking about? Um, your shirt. Oh. No, no, about vaccine. I'm really, I'm really interested because you know they're they're working on a vaccine for this virus, and if everybody gets it this year, not everybody, but a lot of people get it this year. I mean, the, the vaccine there won't mean a vaccine because we'll be immune, immune, and your immunity will be stronger because yeah. you you got it and you got over it. Yeah. So, but obviously, this whole social distancing thing that we're doing right now and shutting down the economy and all that makes you know. At first, I was wondering why they don't just have a giant chickenpox party and get everybody to get it. And get it over with, but then I realized that obviously that would strain the um, the, the medical um, community. We wouldn't have enough beds, and we wouldn't have enough to deal with all that. So I understand the trying to stretch it out. The problem, of course, is what what it's doing to the economy and all that is yeah. is horrible. So won't know for a I long mean, time. The one advantage we have living in Los Angeles is that no matter what time of day you're driving now, there's nobody on the highway. It's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if people are tuning was, in from other places around the world or around the country, um, Los Angeles, as of 6 o'clock yesterday, was completely locked down, right? The only... I don't know. I, I haven't yeah. been following the local news. I, I, yeah. I haven't been following it at all. Yeah. So. On a state level, um, they... What do they call it? They call it something. I want to say nurse in, but that's not in. But you have to like stay in the house. Um, they, they have Shut to, in? No, there's an actual term for it. Okay. Um, so the only things that we're allowed to do here is go out for food and necessary um, medical visits, etc. We are considered um, people that would be doing these kinds of services, so we're still allowed to go out. But if you're caught out, they could find you a thousand dollars. Really? Yeah. Local walks in the neighborhood. That is that just, is that Los Angeles City? State. Statewide. Yeah. California. So if my daughter wants to drive up from San Diego, she can't legally drive up here from San Diego? Um, maybe she can, like, get in her car and come to you, but we're not supposed to be out and socializing with other people. So I... So are we, are we busting the... We are. No, because... <laughs> I am. I drove over. Because we're doing important things. Um, well, I didn't know that that... You know, somebody wrote me this morning and asked me what I think about, uh, you know, this, all this, is it, are they overreacting? And, and yeah, I mean, personally, I believe that there is an overreaction. Uh, the question is, and the thing is, is no one really knows. And getting back to the whole vaccine thing for just a second, is that when they do come out with a vaccine, it's going to be a vaccine that went through testing and, and production in less than a year. And I don't know how you start giving mass doses of something that's been minimally tested. I mean, no vaccine actually goes through FDA rules because vaccines are outside of the FDA rules. Vaccines are, are considered biologics and are not, don't have to go through the randomized, double-blinded, controlled trials that drugs have to go through. So that's one of the big things that this organization is, is, is about, is that the, the testing on these things and the, and the side effects and the consequences sometimes are worse than getting the disease themselves. For most people, I'm not sure if, and then I can see this being used by the pro-vaccine people to say that, well, you know, we're going to mandate that every person in the United States get a vaccine. All right. That coming a while ago, but we're not going to get into vaccines today because it's a very hot topic and we want to like stick to what we know today, right? Well, we don't, yeah, what we know is unfortunately there, is, there isn't a lot of knowledge on what we know today, but. That's true. Right. And That's I, true. I, uh, I've been doing a lot of research on this the last couple of days. I've been uh, reading. I went to evidence-based birth and I went to up-to-date, so I've got some stuff I can report to people Great. a little bit about that so they can find out. Because the truth is, is that 
the number, even the studies that are coming out are, are based on 40 people, 9 people, 12 people. There aren't a lot of, of, of good studies to know where to go. And, and it's very clear that, that everything that's being put into place right now is on, mo is on modeling by very smart people. Um, so when people say, do you think that it's overboard? I think, yes, it's overboard. I think we should do everything that's being said mm -hmm. in that case. I mean, and I'm not a compliant person. Obviously, people who watch this know me. <laughs> That I don't, I, you know, yeah, or listen, I don't comply uh, with stupid rules. But in this particular case, I have been following that. It's been, it's been actually quite nice for someone like me to come, you know, I go to the office, I, my, my volume of patients is way down. We're not seeing routine gynecology, we're, not, we're seeing people with problems and we're seeing pregnancies. I've been doing some, some um, virtual prenatal care uh, online for, for these non-essential visits. And, there's, and again, we're reevaluating how we even do the prenatal care thing. Do we really have to see somebody every four weeks? Every but that was weeks? something that you asked before. Um, I want to just take a step back. I do want to talk about how yeah, we're managing our care. Yeah, you drive the um, But I, I want to take a step back just in case there are people who are not familiar with Dr. Stu and I, because I know that, um, at least in Los Angeles, a lot of doulas, a lot of childbirth educators are supporting their clients in understanding more about the home birth option. Um, Dr. Stu and I have worked together for over 10 years. Um, we've been doing the podcast together for the last couple. Dr. Stu did the podcast years before that, but I joined as his, what do you call me? Sidekick. As his <laughs> trusty sidekick. Yeah. Um, and um, so we're both home birth providers and um, have been in and out around obstetrics and the midwifery world for a long time. Um, so do you want to just a little snippet of your background? Oh. Yeah. Because there are people that might not know who we are. Well, my, what, what my, they my, listen my snippets to tend to get turned into monologues, so just well. just stop me. When I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was a, I was trained in the, in the traditional model of obstetrics, and I came out of residency thinking that that pregnancy was a was an illness that needed to be treated, and like most OBs, that's the only model I saw. And you know, we're trained in in, in treating problems, and so we see every birth as a potential problem. And when I came out, I just to try to hustle and make a, make a living, I started backing up local midwives and began to see a different way of doing things. And just got invited to some of their meetings and went and uh, and saw that their clients were not, I mean, the clients were actually the, the most well-educated people that I've in, in practice. They knew what they were doing. This wasn't a, um, a, a kooky, crazy, hippie type thing. This was a very smart decision that they were making. And I began to see another way of looking at things and realized that about 85% of what I learned in residency program didn't apply to most pregnant women. And so I, I changed and I started fighting the system. And the, you know, people that are small that fight the system end up tend to end up uh, getting beat on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I left the hospital-based care 10 years ago. It was the best decision I think I've made professionally. And I've been doing home birthing and what we call community-based birthing now um, because we don't want to get into the home versus hospital paradigm. We want to just talk about birth choices and so we, we don't want to say that it's an out-of-hospital birth because that makes it seem like hospital is the norm and we want to try to use language to change people the way people think. So I've been doing a community-based birthing now for 10 years and uh, published a few papers on it. I'm not an academician but I I think it's important enough what we're doing so that uh, we try to get information out there so that because there isn't very much data out there on an individual practice or the types of things that I'm doing which are breaches and twins because there's so few choices even in the huge city of Los Angeles I know of 
one guy in LA County that does breach delivery in a hospital voluntarily. And so um, we're trying to bring it back and I'm doing some teaching. Uh, I go around the country, except obviously not right now. I've had a bunch of things canceled. You know, you and I were supposed to go to Ecuador. That got canceled. And uh, so that's me. And that's what I do. And uh, I used to blog a lot. Uh, for years I blogged, but then podcasting came into, into place and I began to realize that it's a lot easier for me to just sit and get, get it out. Mm-hmm. It's a very good cathartic thing to do. Everybody should have a, a way of venting to uh, on some of the things that happened to them, especially us, our rebirth workers, because we all have stories about how we were mistreated or the inf- misinformation given to our, our clients, that sort of thing. So that's me. What about you? Okay. Um, so I have been around um, out of hospital deliveries or community-based deliveries um, for 28 years and have always been an advocate of midwives and um, educating families on how we moved away from home birth and into the hospitals and um, what the benefits are of working with midwives. I owned a birth center for nine years called The which is where Dr. Fishbein and I worked closely together in the beginning, um, and then got my own license to become a home birth um, midwife and have a small practice here now in LA, which I really love. Um, I do, I did have two home births myself, um, and will continue to be an advocate. I'm hoping to do international midwifery and believe in um, informed choice, um, that we all have different ways that we look at healthcare and that we deserve to have an opportunity to hear what the pros and cons are and then make choices, informed choices, about what feels best for us. So I know some of you are writing questions. We aren't gonna be able to look at them quite yet until we get through some of this information. So maybe I'll say again towards the end, anybody have any questions and then we can start to address things that we haven't addressed. Hope that's good for everyone. Yeah. We'll try and keep this to an hour um, and try and keep it as interesting as possible for you guys. Um, uh, yeah, first I would love to just talk generally about, um, how you started to talk about how your practice is changing in the face of this. So we've had more inquiries. Um, we're trying to open up our schedule as much as possible, as well as a lot of other midwives here in LA. How are you protecting yourself? Because I did see someone who said, if I'm pregnant and a health worker, how do I protect myself? But how do we protect, how do we protect ourselves as, as, um, health workers who are not staying at home in isolation? Let me, let me me go through a little bit of the background of the virus, because I think that will answer some of those questions. And I think, you know, how it's transmitted, these sorts of things. I mean, people probably know by, I mean, if you're, if you, if you're breathing, you can't avoid getting information on this unless you shut off all your media because on social media, news media, uh, uh, everything is all, it's all, it's all, I'm going to call it coronavirus. It's easier to say, uh, all, you know, all coronavirus all the time. So, um, one of the resources I use a lot is up to date. It's a really great resource. You have to pay for it every year and they do, uh, they take a look at the research and evidence-based birth also does this. Rebecca Decker does a great job. They did a, uh, a thing last night about doulas, I watched it with Kristen Vescucci and the Birth Monopoly people too. Yay, thank so, you. Um, yeah, I watched the first half and then you guys got into uh, how to do Zoom meetings and stuff and I, I, I turned it <laughs> off. But the first part was with Rebecca and uh, Kristen was very, very informative for me. Um, 
So we need to understand that the understanding of this virus is evolving. And what I say, what I say to you today might not be true next week. So we'll find out. As yeah, we I did feel like we kind of talked about the coronavirus in our last podcast, and two days later, like we recorded it, and then two or three days later, when it went up, it was already like severely out of date. Well, the, the restrictions. Are, I mean, things are going exponentially as far as the restrictions go. Yeah. Um, and the expectation is that the cases in the United States are going to continue to rise for several more weeks, and then hopefully, though, this all this social distancing will cause a plateau. And then it will, it will begin to fall, and the amount of virus in the community will begin to fall, and hopefully the, the, the number of cases will begin to diminish. But I just I went through this. It's a 23-page handout that I printed out, and I went through and I highlighted the most, what I thought was the most important stuff. So understanding of the transmission is, risk is incomplete. We really don't understand exactly how, how that, as the outbreak progressed, person-to-person spread became the main mode of transmission. Initially, it was thought that it was coming from a food market in Wuhan, China, um, but it, and maybe it started there. We don't really know where it started, but obviously it's now person to person. All right. And airborne. We're gonna get to that. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I'm it's jumping ahead. It's it's called SARS-CoV-2, and it's mainly via respiratory droplets. So when a person with an infection coughs, sneezes, or talks, that can infect another person if it makes direct contact with the mucous membranes of that other person. Infection can also occur if a person touches an infected surface and then touches his eyes, nose, or mouth. Okay. Droplets do not travel more than about six feet. Which is why there's the six feet social distancing. I know. I'm not sick. I'm What's not the point? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sick either. <laughs> all right. um, the droplets do not linger in the air. All right. Okay. Um, when, when did you, when was this most updated? This is the 19th of March, so okay. two days ago. Okay. Today, is today the 21st? No, it's the 20th, so yesterday. Okay, great. It's from yesterday. Great. Okay. Given the current uncertainty regarding transmission mechanisms, airborne precautions are recommended. All right. So in the United States, the, the symptomatic secondary attack rate was 0.45% among 400 uh, in a study that they looked at because they want to know how, how infectious this is, how transmittable is this. Right. If somebody has it, what's the likelihood of somebody getting it? And you know, it's less than 1% according to this people who become symptomatic. So that that's, uh, it's a good thing. It's not like, um, uh, like smallpox or um, plague or anything else where the, the infectious rate was really, really high. Um, transmission of this virus from asymptomatic intervals has been described, however, uh, but we don't know the extent to which this occurs. So people that are without symptoms can transmit it. Thus, the, the, the restrictions, even though it doesn't really get, cause most young people to get very sick, the fact is that they can not be very sick but then transmit, oh, there we are. We can, they can transmit it to their grandparents, to their parents, to other people around. So thus, the social distancing should apply to them as well. All right. And then there, there was uh, some reported cases of fecal to oral transmission. However, that did not appear to be a significant factor. And since no one's going out to restaurants and, and that sort of thing anyway, you're not going to probably see Although you see still that. can get takeout. Right. But you can't really get it that way. And a lot of the takeout companies are now just sort of knocking on your door and Leaving it. Leaving it. Yeah, but the right. food is still made by people, right. right? Right. Okay, so some clinical features that we found that I, I thought were important. The incubation period for COVID-19 is thought to be within 14 days following exposure, with most cases occurring approximately four to five days after exposure. So it's relatively quick. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, most infections are not severe. Uh, of the cases that have been analyzed, 81% are mild, which means... No, no respiratory symptoms, no pneumonia. 
Um, 14% were severe with shortness of breath, uh, hypoxia, that sort of thing. Hypoxia is? Lack of oxygen, hard time breathing, and, mm -hmm. and your PO2, you have a O2 stat thing on your finger, it's, it's not recording well because it's primarily a lung disease. It primarily causes uh, damage to the lungs. And classically, there are x-ray changes. Even in people who are mildly symptomatic or very asymptomatic, a chest x-ray sometimes shows the classic you know, ground glass appearance type, type thing. So, can I ask some questions? Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to read the whole report. No, first. no, you interrupt. Okay. It's fine. So, that's, our, that's our modus operandi. I know. Right. I always say, can I ask questions? You say, of course you can ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, what I'm hearing is fever and cough are the first signs. Yeah, I can actually skip ahead and tell you that fever is present in 99% of cases. Is that the first thing that presents? Not necessarily. Like, okay. But if you don't have a fever, you probably don't have coronavirus. Right, you yeah. have an allergy or cold or... Yeah, or a flu or something, but yeah. you, you don't have coronavirus because 99%, which means, basically means that probably 100% and they didn't catch it on some people. Mm -hmm. Fatigue is 70%, a dry cough in 59%, anorexia in 40%, which means loss of appetite, uh, muscle aches in 35%, and shortness of breath in 31%. So it, it sounds to me, have, do you know anyone who has it? No, I don't know anyone that has it. Uh, I know two people. I know a couple. Suspect they do. I know a couple people that were exposed that have self-quarantined. Mm -hmm. um, they were exposed to somebody that they, that they know has it, but they, as of this, well, as I, I haven't talked to them in two days, but as of the, uh, this recording, I, no, they, they don't, I don't think they have it. Yeah. So I don't know anybody that has it. Yeah. So one of my friends was tested yesterday. I, I don't know. Um, I and why did he or she go and get tested? She had had a fever and suspected that that's what it was. They wouldn't let her get tested the first time. Her fever went down. She, her fever came back. And then she, um, and she had been quarantined this, you know, self-quarantined this whole time. Um, and then she asked again if she could be tested. She started to have shortness of breath and fatigue. And so she and they had wouldn't let her be tested the first time because she wasn't sick enough? Or they didn't have enough tests? She wasn't or? sick enough and she didn't meet the criteria of not having traveled or knowing that she was exposed to somebody. So um, the recommendation is, as far as I know, and since you have the most up-to-date information, you correct me, is that if you just have those early symptoms where you feel like you yeah. have a fever and you have a cough to stay home, um, to go and ask to get tested or to get support is if you feel like you can't deal with the symptoms that you have or if you start to feel like you have the shortness of breath. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. And the, what you described earlier are people that were traveled or people with known contacts. Those are, the, the initials for those are PUI. They're uh -huh. persons under investigation or under, mm -hmm. yeah, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, if you, but I think that testing becomes more readily available. Right now, I just got an email from my internist yesterday saying that if you're sick, don't come in and uh, they don't, don't have the test in the office. It's not available. In, you know, into the general public, really, the test you yeah. have to. I called my lab to see if I could get it, and they said, no, no. we won't be testing here. Right. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, that would have been nice for, okay. for my clients who wanted to know. Okay. Okay, so keep going. Most of the fatal cases, as everyone already probably knows, occur in patients with advanced age and underlying medical comorbidities. Uh, in the United States, 67% uh, of the cases were diagnosed in those aged 45, with 80% of the deaths occurring in those eight greater than 65 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I've got couple years left. So, um, 
And we're going to talk about the, you know, the precautions that you and I are taking and that other people should take. Because again, I mean, I'm, I'm a healthcare worker, so I've always put myself at risk. Yeah. It's just that that's the, the, the code that we take is, and, and you know, it's really tragic when you read about a lot of these research, not a lot of these research, but some of these frontline people have caught it and a couple have died. Um, and it's very, you know, it's like being in the military. I mean, you are on the front lines of this sort of thing and you have to do your job. I did see this meme that said, um, our grandparents were called to war. You're, you're being asked to sit on the couch. You're going to be fine. <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> funny. Yeah, that is funny. I mean, it's, it's true. Okay, so the initial presentation, pneumonia appears to be the most frequent, serious manifestation. Again, characterized primarily by fever, cough, shortness of breath, and bilateral chest infiltrates. Um, on x-ray, your lungs look uh, hazy. Okay. Okay, and then I'm going to skip a lot because... Because we don't need oh, to do all that. We don't need all this stuff. Oh my god, they, they go into really depth of what the knowledge is. Well, the thing is, is that we are treating low-risk families. So, you know, we are experts on low-risk on low risk and screening for things that are higher risk. So we're not pretending to be experts on this virus. You know, there's a lot that no, still we're coming through. No, we're, we're just reporting what other people say. Yeah, give you information. There was an anecdotal report that you shouldn't take uh, ibuprofen if you think you have this, but the, um, the that it's anecdotal and that's not what the CDC says. But in light of these concerns, some providers are using Tylenol in place of non-steroidals. However, the European Medical Agency and the World Health Organization do not recommend <clears throat> that uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication like ibuprofen be avoided so you can take it when it's clinically indicated as of today all right because I, I, I said that because I've heard that on the, that people if you take it it's it's made it worse but that's just one anecdotal report all right so I'm skipping a lot of pages okay so preventing exposure in the community all right diligent hand washing right. when I showed up here was the first thing she said to me uh, was you want to wash your hands <laughs> Yeah, whenever you come in someplace or if you're, you go to the store, bring hand sanitizer, use it as soon as you leave before you get in your car. I have wipes in my car, I wipe things down. Every time I go in or out of a place, I'm just really conscious about where my hands were. I try not to touch my face. Sorry, just a second. Um, so, and um, you know, anybody who has any kind of symptoms, making sure that they don't come in for office visits and that you're not going to their home. I think that's another really important thing, obviously, so. Okay, yeah, yeah. they said, so hand washing in, 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 in my office setting, I, 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 we've been now, we've been washing hands, obviously, between every client, and we're wiping down the room between every client. We take the Clorox wipes and I wipe down the key. Oh, I, there's... In my oh. office, there they are. Yeah, I wipe, I wipe down like the, the keyboard to my ultrasound machine. Handles. That door handles, mm -hmm. you do that. My, mm -hmm. my uh, student, Alyssa, has been very diligent about doing that. Respiratory hygiene, so in other words, if you're going to cough or sneeze, cover your, cover your face. And not with your hand. You know, use your arm or yeah, whatever. Um, like we're dabbing. Uh, yeah, but don't use the outside of your elbow because then you right. your elbow bump. Right. Hayes did this instead of hugging. Oh yeah, just before. <laughs> Some people are doing the foot the foot kick. <laughs> it's really it's really sort of sad tragically that you know that hugging is 
now going to be socially unacceptable. For a little bit. For a little bit. Yeah, for a little bit. Avoid touching the face. Now, like, I know that during this thing, I just occasionally will do this to my beard or something like that. If I was seeing other people, I should wash my hands. If I thought I was sick or that, but you know, if you get something in your eye, you do that, that's fine. As long as it's just you when you're in your own apartment or whatever else. But <laughs> yeah. if you're with other people, you want to try to do that. I mean, there's this hilariously funny um, uh, viral video where it shows this woman who works for the CDC or something talking about not touching your face. And then she licks, takes her finger, licks, the, licks her finger and turns the page of her speech. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Avoid crowds, okay? Particularly in poorly ventilated spaces, which is obviously why sporting events, concerts, movie theaters all... Of course, my movie theater never had anybody in it anyway, so I'm not sure why they closed. And you'd be like, can I just come? Yeah, it's just like a little local movie theater, and it was, you know, you go to the matinee in the daytime, there'd be six people in there. Yeah, nobody. It's all closed down around, around Every, us. Everything, everything is closed. Although I went to the bagel shop yesterday, was that, uh, I think they're still open, because they're selling food. Yeah, food. No sit down, though. You pick up. To, you only pick it up. Or there. delivery, you can still do. Cleaning and disinfecting objects and services that are frequently touched, all right? says, if this virus is prevalent in the community, residents should be encouraged to practice social distancing by staying home as much as possible, obviously. And for people without respiratory symptoms, wearing a ma medical mask in the community is not recommended. So it's recommended for people if you feel you have to be sick, but to wear it to prevent you from getting sick, first of all, there's a shortage, but secondly, it doesn't do anything. That's not gonna help anything. Um, managing asymptomatic individuals with potential exposure contacts of patients with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 should be monitored for development of consistent symptoms and signs. So what does that mean? Well, that means if someone uh, comes to you, like Bliss said, initially you should stay home, they should stay home and they should tell you not to come over, not to do a home visit, that they're sick. Now, we'll get to the fact that what if they think they have it and they're in labor? It's a different, whole different yeah. ball game. My friend, my midwifery friends and I were discussing this yesterday. Well, what did they say? Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, well, you know what? I, I would ask them to wear a mask and I would go. And if there aren't any masks available, I would, you know, I'd figure out we'd make one out of something. Hmm. But I, I can't abandon them. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm being blind to the whole thing. And most of us probably feel, maybe many of you feel the same way. But I've had many different viruses and flus my whole life. I, I don't really get that sick. I know my immune system is pretty strong. If I had an underlying problem, like say I had um, diabetes or I was, uh, uh, I was dealing with some sort of thing like chronic lymphocytic leukemia or some other thing where my immune system is, is weak or I know that every time I got sick, I used to get really sick. If that's my modus operandi all my life, I would really probably have to say, no, I'm not coming, or no, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to be there. But I trust my immune system. And, you know, ultimately, I think that, you know, I, I hope that I don't ever get it. But if I got it, I, I wouldn't mind getting it and getting it over with and then having an immune system that, that makes me Definitely stronger. there should be a couple of workers in your area who've gotten it, and then they can go in and serve these people is what I think. Yeah, it's like but, watching Outlander where she had, she's she been vaccinated against smallpox and so there's a smallpox outbreak yeah, in goes, 17. She goes in. She goes in. Um, I, have a different, I have a different opinion I know. about it. I know, I saw. Um, you did? Yeah. Um, so I, read your face. I, um, I have no, I don't have fear of getting it and I don't have fear of um, 
getting the flu and any of that stuff. I agree with you on all of that. But because I am serving other people right. and because I am seeing lots of people, I feel the need to protect myself in order to protect the community that I'm serving. And so the conversation that I had with my midwife friends was, um, you know, they were saying, oh, they're sending their clients to the hospital if they have any symptoms. And I don't see any other alternative because I don't think that I can serve someone and expose myself and then potentially disseminate that to the people that I am seeing. That's true. Yeah. So um, I, I wish that there was a way that we could screen people and know if their symptoms were, you know, something that was not going to turn into this virus. There's very little that we know. There's very, we can't do testing for them. So... So, I mean, I come, I understand where you're coming from. I come from a slightly, you know, I have a different type of practice. I mean, if, 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 if I have somebody who's breached mm-hmm. and I send them to the hospital, they get a C-section. They get a C-section. Mm-hmm. If I'm not feeling well and I don't go, they got to go to the hospital. So it's, it, you know, it'll probably be on a case by case basis of what I do and I'm giving informed consent like we always do yeah. and letting the families help, you know, we'll all decide together. You know, if I thought that I was getting a, I mean, sore throat isn't part of this. So, but if I thought I was getting a sore throat or I didn't feel good or I had chills or something, um, you know, then it's my obligation to tell people that. And if they say, listen, I don't want you to come over, then don't come over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I tried to find masks. Um, couldn't find any. Yeah. We're having a hard time getting ID supplies too. Oh yeah. They're, yeah. Those have been commandeered by, uh, by the CDC and, uh, so I have, I, you know, it's really going to be hard. We're going to have to be very careful now about about using up our our IV supplies unless absolutely necessary. Yeah, unless absolutely necessary. So. So are you ready to talk about? Well, I got preg- I got a couple things about pregnancy. Got a couple things. Right. Okay. And then so we're going to get to home birth and hospital policies and all of that. Right. So let's talk briefly about pregnancy. We'll turn that off. Um, so intrauterine or perinatal transmission has not been identified. So if you're pregnant and you have a fetus inside of you, there's not been a case that's been identified yet of transmission. transmission. Mm-hmm. All right. The big question asked is, well, what if the mother has it? What do they do with the baby when it's born? Okay. And the CDC, much to my chagrin, has recommended separation of the mother and baby for 14 days. The other European health organizations have recommended just the opposite. And yeah, who that the mother should wear a mask, but you should not take the baby away from the mother. And part of me wonders if that's just an American way of thinking. It's that, you know, that the mother and baby unity doesn't matter. Um, I don't really quite understand that. But let me just finish this. In symptomatic women with suspected uh, virus, one expert group suggested leaving the vernix caseosa in place for 24 hours after birth since it contains antimicrobial peptides. Yeah, but it doesn't stick. Stay on for 24 hours. Even if we leave it alone, it absorbs no, it within an hour. Within an hour, it's gone. But what's interesting about it is why shouldn't we do that on everybody? All the time. Mm-hmm. Ever. Say why it one we, more time. Why, doesn't we, why don't we keep that in place for every baby all the time, ever? Yeah. Why are we washing babies? Why are we wiping them down? Well, we don't. We don't. At home, we don't. Hospitals, many yeah. hospitals still do. Yeah. But you it's have to important. give the baby a bath. It's like, why? Yeah. Um, Okay, here's one that bugs the crap out of me. The American College of OBGYN specifies that infants born to mothers with confirmed COVID-19 should be considered a patient under investigation, that's the PUI thing, Mm -hmm. and appropriately isolated and evaluated. So they're saying that the baby, if it's born to a mother with it, should be isolated. 
well, just isolate with its mother. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. It is unknown whether the virus can be transmitted through breast milk. The only report of testing found no virus in the maternal milk of six patients. However, droplet transmission could occur through close contact during breastfeeding, in other words, a mother breathing on the baby. Thus, mothers with confirmed COVID-19 or symptomatic mothers with suspected COVID-19 should take precautions to prevent transmission to the infant during breastfeeding, including assiduous hand hygiene and using a face mask. Alternatively, to minimize direct contact, the infant can be fed express breast milk by another caregiver until the mother has recovered, provided that the other caregiver is healthy and follows hygiene precautions. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Again, you, want, you, you don't want to separate the baby from the mother, but you want to limit, uh, limit the baby's potential exposure. And I think that's a basically... Well, wait, so let's go back to that, because one of our listeners did ask us that question specifically. Okay. Um, and so, as I said in the beginning of this, people manage their health care differently. And unfortunately, we're still finding out so much about this virus that there is conflicting information from, from organizations globally. So, CDC is a American-based... It's Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, right? Yeah. It's America. So that's for America. And then who is the World Health Organization? So they have a different... Well, the World Health Organization, you know, it, God, I, I, you told me not to get political. Yeah, don't get political. So I can't really talk about the World Health Organization. Okay. Do you not agree with their recommendations? I don't agree with half of their recommendations. Okay. I don't, not just about this, but about many things in general. They're a very politically bound organization. So when you make a decision on which in which information to... Well, I would, the, the information I'm talking about, like I, I like what, what the Royal, Royal College of, of OBGYN in, in, in England puts out. Right. They're much more common sense, or they're more common sense about breach for sure. And about many of their guidelines, their green top guidelines, are are much more practical in America. They're like ten or fifteen years ahead of America mm -hmm. in their and, and just their whole system, the integration of midwives and and OBs in that in that community. And again, the government there is encouraging people to stay home. You don't for, hear, birth. for birth. Yeah. You don't you don't see our government. Uh, you don't see somebody suddenly giving an executive order to say all insurance companies should now pay for home birth. Right. Why not? Yeah. And I heard yesterday that Canada is is saying that just Quebec can't do conference just Quebec do you know why no okay it's yeah. Quebec yeah <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so basically they're, they're sorry they're, they're yeah. Canadian so they're sorry they're sorry so, now I don't, I don't know I don't know why so, they, they discussed this on the birth monopoly thing yesterday and and many people were correcting uh first Kristen said that all of Canada and it's really just Quebec okay as far as I know again that may change my state too right exactly uh but I don't understand that at all it makes no sense to me at all to force somebody to come to a hospital where sick people are now why don't they take why don't they what I think they should do in a, in a city like ours is they should make some hospitals designated hospitals that take care of these sort of things and other hospitals where where people with who needed gallbladder surgery or having a baby, whatever can go, and they're not—they don't have a respiratory ICU with sick people walking in and out of the ER. Right. Why not? Why not triage it that way? I'm also wondering, like the ships off offshore, that the, the one, there's one off of San Francisco and one off of—are they going to be treating people with this disease, or are they going to be just treating people with healthy people? Because they can't be treating both. That seems crazy. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. Again, I think these things will evolve. I think we'll see new information coming out today or tomorrow. Right. That how they're going to do things differently. So in regards to the breastfeeding, because we did get that question, I think that it's about informed consent. And I think that 
letting people know what the CDC is recommending, letting people know that in other countries like England, they're making recommendations that babies stay together, why you believe if you do, which I think Dr. Vishbein and I believe that babies should stay with their moms using precautions because the immunity that comes from the breast milk in, in pretty much every other virus and disease that we have found, most of them, um, it's recommended for, even with AIDS now, it's recommended for mom and baby to stay together. So um, using the same precautions. As far as we can tell, women in pregnancy, although I did read something today that women in pregnancy who do contract a virus tend to ha have it become um, they're a little sicker. They get yeah. they get sicker, right? Yeah. Well, that's true of, of almost everything because your immune system in pregnancy is suppressed slightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because I've read things where it says that when you're pregnant, for this particular, that you're not any more susceptible than the general population. But then it seems like now they're saying like an. I don't think you're more susceptible like necessarily catch it, but if you catch it, you you, you can get sicker. You, you, could, you could get sicker. Yeah. Again, these are all there. There aren't numbers on this. I mean, I'm looking at papers. On pregnant women of 12 people, 40 yeah. people, 30 people. Right. These are not numbers. And then, listen, I of course have what we call our uh, confirmation bias. I'm choosing to take to, to to not take the CDC guidelines as seriously as I take the Royal College guidelines, because the Royal College guidelines are more in line with my beliefs, and that's how all of us think. So everybody has to make their own decision. So Bliss is right about informed consent. I mean. We have time because we spend time with our clients to give them information. Here's what the CDC is saying. Here's what, you know, and you can do this all online with people. You can have FaceTime with them. That's what I've been doing with a couple of my clients who didn't want to come in. But I totally get that. And I also like the fact that right now, like, Bliss has this little cute little office right here with the fireplace in it. I've moved from a very large office into just a little teeny office. So I try to book my patients so that the patients that are there leave before the next patient comes. That's how mine is right. too. So yeah. I have time to, like what we said, wipe down the office. Yeah, yeah. But I do, uh, you know, I, I got, I think that the mother-baby thing is so much, so important. The bonding is so important. The breastfeeding is so important that, you know, if, if that nature has a way of understanding that and protecting that. It just makes sense. In every other illness, flu season, whatever else, we never tell mothers to separate from their babies. Right, the immunity changes in the breast milk based on what the mom is exposed to. So actually it's the best thing for the baby in terms of immunity. Um, okay, so let's talk about local hospital protocols and probably it's happening nationwide, but what we've learned, I haven't been in the hospital working as a doula, but I have, I'm on a lot of chat groups and I've heard from a lot of doulas and also the inquiries that were coming in. Did you see something? No, I'm just reading. Um, While you're talking, I'm reading comments. Um, the inquiries that are coming in is that not only are doulas being restricted, but dads are also not being allowed. <laughs> in now. some hospitals, right. Yeah, right. more and more, actually, that I'm here in Cedars. It's happening soon, is what I was told from. See, to me, this is, this is unconscionable and unbelievable. Yeah, to take a mom who is in labor and then put her in an environment where her support team is not there. But that's the reality. So what we're talking about is... You know, a lot of doula organizations are trying to kind of fight against this, but what's happening right now is that you will likely be separated from your support team, and if they suspect that you're sick, you will likely be separated from your baby because that's the new CDC guidelines in yes, the Yes, in America. Yeah. 
Um, so there are other reasons that we talk about the benefits of staying at home, which we can get into a little before bit. We, before we get any further than that, I just want to talk a little bit about what you just said, because, because this gives you an idea of how modern, the dominant American medical model looks at pregnancy. And they look at, you know, there are hospitals around in my community who shall remain nameless who wanted to start their own doula um, service. Mm -hmm. All right. And I always, we talk about this on the podcast, how this seems like an ultimate conflict of interest for me because the doula is supposed to work for the mother, but if the doula is being paid by the hospital, then who is she really working for? And is she going to really advocate for everything that the mother wants if the hospital doesn't want it? Blah, blah, blah. So, but they put it on as almost, you know, I, I hate to overuse the term virtue signaling, but it's almost as if they, they thought that we're going to do this to make it look like we're birth friendly, but we're really not birth friendly. Mm -hmm. And when they ban doulas now, it just goes to show you how they consider them to be non-essential personnel. And the idea that even fathers are becoming non-essential personnel is, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Have a labor and delivery unit and, and separate it out. Move it, move it away. Do something so that you can, you know, set, you, could, you could set something up where you could let the laboring woman have her support team. But the mindset is that birth is, you know, that the mother is the wrapper and the baby's the candy and we'll just get the baby out of the throat and then what the mother experiences doesn't matter. And it, that sort of thinking, I mean, I, I would love to talk to the administration. I mean, a lot of these people are just like lemmings. They just, they get a thing that's, that comes out in, in Hospital Administrator magazine and they suddenly institute it into their, into their hospital without really thinking about the consequences. People who know me know I talk a lot about my seminars about what's called stage one thinking. Where they think about something that it feels good or it sounds good, but does it actually do good? Mm -hmm. And are we really preventing transmission of this virus by keeping dads or doulas out of the out of the labor? Who decided that? I mean, how did, how did they? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. No, where did these decisions come from? And again, this is the thing about big government. This is where I get on my rant about big government. It's like there's never anybody responsible for these decisions. It's it's just a nebulous thing that comes down, and no one takes responsibility for it. And when they're ever they're wrong. There's no price to pay for being wrong. Mm -hmm. And the damage that we're doing to future generations and stuff by the, by the things that America, the American obstetrical industrial complex is doing to this is, is, is there will be a price to pay down the road. Yeah, and we don't know what that is, unfortunately. But we, we have built our lives and careers around providing services for out-of-hospital deliveries at this point. I mean, you were in the hospital for a long time, but now, um, and so you support the choice. Yeah, I mean, the unique perspective of somebody who's actually worked in both worlds. And right. so I can see the difference. And I, I had the mentality that anybody who wanted a home birth was, was crazy when I first came out. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. People say, well, why did you back home birth midwives? And I did it because I wanted to make money. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you start a practice back in the 80s, you didn't get a job and get a salary. You had to hustle and cover ERs and cover free clinics and that sort of thing. And that's how I built my practice initially. And um, you know, if I look back at so many of my clients who've been with me for the whole 34 years of private practice, uh, 30, yeah, 34 years, um, some, many of them, their first visit was because they, re, they came to me because I met them at a free clinic. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay, so let's talk about the choice to stay home for those people who are planning um, a hospital birth and are considering switching, yes? Okay, well, that's a good question here from, okay. from Rotem. She says, I have a few clients that would feel safer to have a home birth, but can't afford it. Any suggestions? Yeah, 
send a letter to the White House and ask them to give an executive order <laughs> telling them that insurance companies should pay, because insurance companies, it's a lot cheaper for you to pay for a woman to have a birth at home than to go to a hospital. A lot cheaper. But and right now, we want to keep, especially if hospitals get overloaded with really sick people, why do they want pregnant people to come there when they're really all their resources? I mean, every pregnant woman at a hospital gets an IV. All right? What a waste of IVs. No kidding, when we really need them. Right. You know, for like actually life saving situations. Right. So, so Rotan, you know um, I would check in with the local birth centers because they are um, set up to be able to take a larger volume and a lot of them accept Medi Cal. So I don't know if your um, clients are um, Medi-Cal based, but I would also check around with the local midwives and see. I've seen midwives posting online that they're willing to do reduced fees. Um, you know, for those of us who have really small practices, it's hard for us to take a large volume um, of clients at a reduced fee. Um, but I know that there are midwives who are doing that, and I would check in with the birth centers and see what their policies are and if they can um, help with some of that. Some midwives are even taking um, payment plans. Right, so I was just going to say that. You just read my mind. Yeah, payment yeah. plans, um, reduced fees. So definitely check in with your local midwives. Um, if you're if you're trying to support your clients and you're a doula, check in with them and see what their options are for your particular situation, and then they can jump on and do a FaceTime and see if it feels like a good fit. Um, that would be my recommendation. Unfortunately, um, insurance companies, PPOs, most PPOs will reimburse a portion of the fees. Like in my case, I have a biller that can um, they can do a verification of benefits. However, if it's last minute like this, it's really hard to find out that information ahead of time. You kind of have to jump in and try and make an agreement with um, with the individual midwife. But it definitely doesn't hurt to ask. And a lot of those decisions are based on. Um, a good feeling that we have with somebody. So doing a FaceTime, getting on, having a conversation with them, telling them your story, telling them, you know, what is presenting, what you can do, that can really make a difference because it, it's it's so relational built, the work that we do. Um, it's based on intimacy and trust, um, especially someone who's coming in at 39, 38 weeks, you know, we have to get intimate and connected really fast. But I do feel like a lot of of us community-based birth workers right now are really trying to bridge that gap and, and make adjustments um, to be able to support the growing demand right now. Yeah, and there, there's another conflict going on as well because somebody writes that, um, you know, a home birth is usually you know around $5,000, give or take a little bit. Uh, and most people ultimately could afford that, even if it, if it was on a payment plan, you could do that. And even if we wanted to make a discount, the problem, of course, is that many people right now are financially in jeopardy because yeah. because they're not working. Yeah. And they've lost their job, or they're on hiatus, or they're put on a you know forced hiatus, and they're not going to get a paycheck. And that's a whole nother podcast, maybe <laughs> sometime talking about what's going to happen on April first when everybody's rent is due and every mortgage is due. Well, you know, they're they're making um, yeah, adjustments they, for that as and, well. And hopefully they're going to put a, a holiday for, they're going to put a holiday on that for like three months. And that's, yeah. That would be great. Uh, Interest-free, that would be, be great. But but she's right. I mean, the, ultimately, you have to figure out what's valuable. And if it's and if a midwife does a birth, you know, in LA is a little more expensive than other places, but we could lower our prices. But, you know, nationwide, it's three, four, five thousand dollars um, in America. And I don't know what it is in other countries, but but um, 
you could work that out. You could you could you could put that play that out over six months or a year, and you probably could afford it. So, uh, what we really need people to do is reach out for who are planning a we're trying to look to switch and to maybe contact one of us for like Bliss says just a, a, a consult, even a even a FaceTime conversation on the phone to find out whether this is something that's even considerable because a lot of people have so much misinformation about what a home birth really involves and what midwives actually do. So let's talk about that. Okay. So um, how, first of all, how do we, how can we support doulas in talking to their clients about the switch? Like what are things that we can tell them about that are easy enough for them to be able to say, what are the benefits of being at home versus the hospital, except for the. <laughs> I'm thinking of all my my Dr. Stu Snide remarks. Yeah, no Snide. Let's get to to business because we've been on for a while, so we want to make sure and give you guys the information that you're looking for. Oh my gosh, it's almost an hour. So I'll go as long as people want to go. Okay, I'm, we'll be here all day. I, I, don't, I don't have any place to go. I'm socially distant from everybody, and you know, right now I have only two people in dates, and they're not even really close to being in dates. I mean, they're like 38 weeks, 37 weeks, so. Um, both you and I probably need a nap today. Though. We do need a nap. Right. Okay. So what should the doula tell them? Yeah, I mean, again, the doula and the photographers can be with you. Your husband can be with you. You're not exposed to bacteria. This is always you're in your own home. You're in your own home, yeah. center. Yeah. But you're in your own home where you where you have control of your environment. You know how clean it is. You know how those things are. You know you're not letting in people who you don't know. Right. Um, your baby will not get separated from you. Uh, you have all the advantages that a normal home birth has, plus you, know, you have the, the advantage of not having to go into a place where you know that people are on high alert for, for um, they're very nervous. There's a lot, you know, labor delivery units are nervous anyway. Yeah. All right, but now they're super nervous. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the nervous thing, I, I think, is I think that they have to follow hospital protocols and the hospital guidelines says a nurse needs to do this or, or gown up or wear. You know, you want somebody coming in wearing a hazmat outfit taking care of you, and it's a, it, even when you're not sick. And then you have to, still, you have to walk through the ER, you have to walk through triage, you have to walk through the hospital. Feet, that's the one that I always think about at the hospital, is they wipe things off and they put gloves on, but their feet, you know, so when you step onto the floor, the feet, people's feet are tracking through all kinds of rooms, you know? So yeah, and, 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 and actually I read somewhere where the droplets can, can um, on certain surfaces can last anywhere from three to twenty-four, or even three to twenty-four hours. So, you know, that's true. Mm -hmm. And if you're barefoot or what, you know, you're walking around. But again, I don't see that we haven't seen an epidemic of people catching this virus going into a hospital to give birth. And in fact, my my associate just had her baby in the hospital. Um, congratulations, I don't. <laughs> but. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah. I didn't know she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fast been? one. She had a short pregnancy, only nine months. <laughs> uh, and you know, she and she approached me and she asked uh, asked me about home birth, but I think that she was like most OBs and other people a little skeptical about doing it at home, even though it was I think her third baby. So, it is. Um, I you know I just think that there's so many advantages to being at home. And again, we're not cowboys. We uh, you know midwives want you to have a successful birth. They're not going to do things to, um, to put you or your baby in danger. They're not going to do that. So if you need to be in the hospital, they're going to tell you that. Yeah, exactly. So and people, and people want to know, like a lot of families want to know, well, well how would I do it without an epidural? Great. Right. 
And the answer is that you do it because the reason that people get epidurals in the hospital are multi multifactorial. One is that there's an anesthesiologist there all the time, so it's very accessible. accessible. Mm -hmm. Two is that you're not allowed to deal with, with discomfort or pain or whatever you want to call it um, in a normal fashion. If you, if you banged your elbow, um, you would not stand there and look at your elbow. You would rub, you immediately would rub your elbow and you would, uh, and that dulls the pain because it works on the center of your brain to make your brain not be able to pick out the pain anymore. So when you can move, when you can get in the shower, when you can have someone rubbing your back, when you can get on all fours, when you can bounce on a ball, you can deal with these things a lot better than if you're laying in bed with two, two monitors on your belly and you're not allowed to really move around too much. And so you obviously request an epidural. And the third thing about epidurals, which I won't get into today, but I have this theory, uh, you know, every time you mess with mother nature, there is a ripple effect. And I think that, that labor is uncomfortable for a reason and it helps the mother communicate with her baby by sending out trans neurotransmitters that the baby receives from the mother like endorphins, enkephalins, uh, cortisol, adrenaline, and those things help that baby cope with labor. Whereas when the mother has an epidural, the baby's still getting squeezed and is wondering, you know, what happened to my, you know, my drug dealer? What happened to my mom? Okay, where's, where's my dose of in, uh, endorphins? Uh, and Kathleen's, where, where are those things? So there's all kinds of things that you, and so at home you don't necessarily need to fear that the idea is that it's going to be that painful because obviously we've been doing it for years and pe women have been doing it for since the dog died. Years. Well, you've been doing it for years. You and I have been doing it for years. No, no. Women have been doing it since the dawn of time. That's right. Right. And they somehow manage. And, they, and then they do it again. Two years, a year later, they get pregnant again. Well, so. this is the thing, is we were designed to do this. Our bodies were designed to do this. And I tell people all the time, because a lot of times when we're interviewing, um, people will say, I have a low tolerance for pain. We lost the Instagram. Is that supposed to happen? I don't know. Is it timed out? Is it time out in an hour? I don't know. Maybe. You want to try it again? Well, you can keep talking. I'll, okay. I'll. Um, and I will tell you, if I go to the dentist, I am not one to say, don't give me Novocaine. I'm like, give it on more and more and more. I, I don't want to necessarily experience this discomfort. But it was very different in my experience of being in labor. Um, the hormones start to flood your system. You can move around. You can get in water. You can have your doula or your husband give you massages and, and encourage you. A lot of times what happens in the hospital when they're asking you to rate your pain, your mind is going to, how much pain am I in? Um, yeah. Instead of just being in the... Um, in the environment and in your body and in your experience which changes things a lot the thing about starting at home is that you can always still make that decision to go to the hospital and get an epidural if that's something that you decide that you want to do but you would be amazed at what women are able to accomplish by having that support and having that ability to be in control um, there is no other experience besides having had a previous labor that can really have you understand what your sensations are gonna be or how you're gonna cope with them. Um, and I, I believe that we need more women in their power. And I believe that our ability to be able to see ourselves go through this experience and experience ourselves in a way that we never have changes and transforms the way that we are in the world. So I think that, again, this is like, you know, this rites of passage, which I don't necessarily need to get into today because it's a different topic, but 
Um, I had a woman recently who, you know, was very, she criticized herself a lot and she had a lot of concerns about what it was going to be like for her to be in labor. And she was like this beautiful choreographed dance in her labor waves. And um, at the end, you know, we were checking out the baby and making sure that her bleeding was, was under control and all the things that we do to make home birth safe. Um, and she looked at me, she goes, I feel like a badass. And I'm like, you are a badass. It like changed the way that she related to herself. So give yourself an opportunity to do that. If your instincts are telling you you wanna be at home and you are not sure how you're gonna be able to cope with that, um, set yourself up, if you can, if you have the resources to do that, set yourself up to give yourself the opportunity to give it a try, and if you need to go to the hospital at any point to get an epidural, you can absolutely do that. Yeah. You can't get Instagram back on. Nope. Yeah, they cut us off, so hopefully you guys are mostly over here. Um, so any other, what other questions we want to talk about in terms of home birth? Do you guys want to send us your questions? Maybe that will help, help, um... Can you scroll those? And yeah, I looked a little bit, but want to see, they want us to do live videos all the time for our podcast, which is great. Um, my home was cheaper than insurance. Uh, hi, Bristol. She says, my home birth was cheaper than my insurance deductible, which is awesome. Um, so send us, if you guys have questions right now that are important to you, just let us know. Um, Kristen Anderson says that there's a class on Facebook called Command Your Birth that anyone who wants to join her having to do with um, having power in your birth experience. Right. So, Based on what you, I mean, the, that little thing that you just said was like really sums it up really well is that people need to consider, this is, there are very few advantages to what's happening right now in the country. I mean, so many people are hurting and so many people are sick and people are dying, but there are going to be, we need to try to find a silver lining. And some one of the silver linings is obviously in LA is that there's no traffic, which is, we <laughs> talked about that earlier. But there are, there are people are going to reevaluate how they do things. I think more people might, might sit down at the dinner table now with their family. They might um, not turn on the TV so much. They might play, do a puzzle or play a game or just the way they, they, they find that they don't necessarily need certain things. You know, I, I, everybody knows that I love the Los Angeles Kings, and then they ended the hockey season, boom, just like that. We weren't going anywhere anyway this year, but, you know, it's, it's season ticket renewal time, and it's a lot of money, but the Kings are smart. They, they postponed that you have to sign up for it, but I'm wondering, you know, do I really need to do that? I mean, I'm living fine right now with with not going there. So how we change things, and, and hopefully this will be how, we, how people look at birth slightly differently, and maybe this one of the good things that will come out of this is that People will take another look at the, the benefits of community-based birthing, mm -hmm. um, and maybe we'll see a surge in it. I, I can't imagine that we would, that, you know, there will be a big pushback from the medical community, and we can expect some papers to come out from our, our two favorite authors back east uh, about the downside of home birth. But, but I think that what Bliss said, the way Bliss says stuff, you should you should just like caption that, and, and, and it's too long for me. But you just have a way of saying things. That really gets to the heart of the matter. Thanks. So we did have some questions. Someone asked about precautions for pregnancy with COVID, which I think we already talked about. Precautions for people who are pregnant with who COVID. have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they. If we they, discussed if, that already. Yeah. If they're, if they're really sick, they need to go to the hospital. But if they're not, they should just stay home. It doesn't transmit to the fetus. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just let you know and do your do your visits and do your other things virtually just stay home yeah again we're talking about people who are healthy normal healthy people wanting to have their babies and potentially switch to home birth um ideas to help clients a virtual call with this client who has already reached out to you oh great um so sorry guys we're managing a couple of logistical things um, someone with twins is watching this who's considering switching to home birth. Um, here in Los Angeles, midwives, um, it's illegal for us to be able to deliver twins in breaches. Um, yeah, in California. Um, but Dr. Fishbein um, has a long history of doing that in the hospital and out of the hospital. So he's a great resource for people who have twins who would like to consider doing a home birth at this point, they should reach out to Dr. Yeah, I've been contacted by several people yeah. uh, with twins. Yeah. Um, breaches obviously are a surprise to most people because you don't find that out until 35, 36, 37, 38 weeks anyway, but twins people know long, well ahead of time. And again, we don't know how this is going to long this is going to last, this, this craziness. So yeah, we don't. The way that they're managing it is by the social distancing is they're decreasing the number of people who get acutely ill, but they're going to spread it out over a much longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that to, because of the resources. So, you know, we could be going into the summertime. Now, hopefully, like with most viruses, when the weather gets warmer, then they, they disappear. Because people don't get the flu in July. You know, they just don't. Yeah. So, hopefully that will happen. But if you have twins, um, you know, there are very few choices around the country with twins. I mean, there just, there just aren't. There aren't very many practitioners doing twins. But you can... You know, there are chat groups on Facebook and stuff like that who, who will be able to direct you. People always ask me, they'll write me from Connecticut or someplace and, uh, but they can't find a breach practitioner. And then I refer them to like the Coalition for Breach Birth. I don't know of a great twin Facebook group. Uh, you, okay. Um, Home birth multiples. Twin. Oh, yeah. is home birth multiples? Yeah, okay. multiple home, so home birth post, multiples. You can post on that and then people in different parts of the country will be able to give you resources in your area. Okay. Katie, yes, we're going to talk about um, transport rates. So, okay, just in terms of like normal home birth questions, um, what happens if something happens, goes wrong, oh, and we need to go in? This is a problem. This is a problem discuss. because we're going to end up having to take people to the emergency room or wherever they go and, and wave goodbye. Yeah, we won't be able to come with you, but we will be able to send you records of what's been happening in labor and, and if we've had a chance to do any prenatal Yeah, and, and, we'll, and, we, and, and your, all practitioners will call ahead and they'll speak to the charge nurse, they'll speak to the doctor on call, or, or if you have a transport relationship with a doctor, so that will, that will be smooth. The problem is, of course, is that your support team will not be allowed in. Right. And I normally think, we would go with you. I think she just wants to know, for people who are new to home birth, Let's just talk about it like oh, we always talk about it. Yeah, okay. you know, it's a normal so question. So um, the statistically for a first time mom, it's about 10 to 15% of first time moms who go in for a non-emergent transport. I imagine in a situation like this, those percentages may go down because the reason why people are choosing to stay home and out of the hospital is kind of heightened, right? So someone who normally might say, yeah, it's taking a long time. I think I want to go in for an epidural and rest. May reevaluate that because of you know the situation that they're going to. In yeah. The on the other hand, you may get people coming into the home birth world who really aren't necessarily prepared prepared for it and may may surrender sooner. So it's true. Yeah, I mean, the number probably will stay about the same. So 15, ten to 20%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ten to fifteen percent for first time moms. 
non-emergent transport. So that's usually having to do with pain relief, um, have they been up for a few days and they're exhausted, um, we maybe we've been stuck at seven centimeters for 12 hours and they just want a change. So those are non-emergent transports. We would get in the car, we would transport to the hospital just as if you were with your doula at home laboring and you were planning to go into the hospital. So um, that, that would not change. Emergent transports happen, I think the new statistic was about 1%. I thought it was less than 1%, but the statistics that you read recently on the podcast was around 1%. Right. Where that, we, that's with the, with the California, in the, in the California mm-hmm. statistics, right? Yeah. But what's 1% versus half of 1%? Yeah. It's essentially, it's 99% versus 99.5% chance of it not happening. Yeah. And almost all that happens postpartum. Right. In my, in my experience, it's almost always, well, not always, but but it, uh, the greatest percentage of emergent transports are postpartum, either for mother bleeding or for baby. But again, it's less than 1%. Yeah. So we would call an ambulance and they would take you to the closest hospital. Um, we take low risk families, we're screening them to make sure that they're low risk. Um, we still need to do that. Other than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, we, we're not going to get into the discussion of, ri- of risk today, but but we don't consider what the, the standard medical community considers to be high risk. That's true. We don't consider those many of those things to be high risk. Like advanced maternal age is not necessarily a contraindication for us. Um, VBACs is not a contraindication for us and actually has a higher statistic of success outside of the hospital. Yeah, now, now they're labeling primips as being high risk. <laughs> That's someone who's who's a first time deliver, right. delivering for the first time. So that, yeah, time. right. Um, so we are licensed medical professionals. Dr. Fishbein is a obstetrician. I'm a licensed midwife. We're both licensed by the medical board. We come prepared for emergencies. I always tell people when they interview with me, look, you're a mammal, you could deliver on your own. Birth is designed for you to be able to deliver with no one else around. There's about 5% of the time in my assessment, some people might say it's higher, of people who actually need medical support. So um, we're there for those times when something goes outside of the range of normal. The most common things would be bleeding, baby needing a little help transitioning, um, baby who needed a little help um, coming through the pelvis because they have gotten themselves in a little bit of a funky position, (laughs) right? Yeah, silly babies. Silly babies. Um, So something like a shoulder dystocia, you might need a little, you know, someone who has a skill set. What are some other common ones? Uh, Oh, baby's heart rate. So we are doing... um, intermittent monitoring with handheld Dopplers that are waterproof so we can be in the water, we can um, be in any position that you want to be in, we can work around you and we can listen to the baby's heart rate. In active labor it's every 30 minutes and as things progress um, towards pushing we listen more frequently depending on what we're hearing. If a baby's not coping well early in labor our recommendation would more than likely be to be in the hospital environment so that you could be on continuous monitor and you could have the accessibility to the emergency services that are at the hospital. But most babies do great in labor and we just continue to monitor them and um, and make sure that what we are hearing is normal and we know normal very well. So when something is outside of the range of normal, um, we know how to- Recognize either, it right away. Yeah, right. advise you or step in in some way. 
Um, maternal, it's some certain maternal things like if she spikes a high fever, or if she her blood pressure goes really high, those sorts of things would be reasons that we would transport. Well, we're, we're, we're monitoring that during labor. But one of the things that midwives do, as opposed to the hospital, is they do things based on common sense and logic, and so they're not protocol bound to check your blood pressure every, you know, to interrupt your labor to be checking your blood pressure. I mean, I, I know that you guys have more more strict protocols than I do. But if somebody's blood pressure is normal when you, when you initially take it in labor, how often does it suddenly become sky high? That would, mm -hmm. It's really rare. But yet in the hospital, they have to... Every 30 minutes you, Whatever or they have to have, yeah. you, or you even have this cuff, you're wearing it all the time. Yeah. And it just blows up on its own. Yeah. How annoying. So, um, <laughs> how annoying. But those are the things. And they're, and they're few and far between. As I said, you know, it turns out that you know, maybe 15, I say 15 to 20% of first-time moms Less than one percent, I think, of second-time moms in my practice get transported. So yeah, it's very rare. Yeah. So the success rate for multiple, and I would say that my success rate for multiple, which means more than one, you've already had one vaginal birth, is for breaches is is a hundred percent, and for twins, I've had one multiple twin in about forty multiple twins, so that it's about a ninety-seven percent uh, um, success rate for a woman who's had multiple twins. So if this is your second or more baby and you're thinking about the possibility of a home birth, your chance for success is is like close to 99 to 100%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we do come with supplies to manage some of those things. So um, hemorrhage, we have the same drugs that they, they have in the hospital. We have IV supplies, um, although they're limited right now. Um, we're, we have the ability to be able to suture. Um, we are trained in neonatal resuscitation, which is exactly the same algorithm and training, hands-on training that they do in the hospital. Um, we evaluate the baby in the same way that they do in the hospital. So just know that when we're coming in, we're coming in with a skill set, knowing that if there is a complication, a normal complication that we would expect, we are trained to be able to address those things. And we are trained to be able to tell you when it's time to be able to advance to the services that are available at the hospital because you know we're not anti-hospital um when we need the hospital we are very happy to be able to have what they have to offer all of the interventions epidurals um pitocin c-sections when used judiciously are life-saving and beautiful but the opportunity to be able to stay at home and only use those when you need them you is really see, helpful see i can't get it to do that oh okay. that was katie we yeah, addressed that i believe oh, you can't mm -hmm. be. no sorry I have, I have a question hi stephanie by the way i have a question for bliss oh which is <laughs> is is lawn mowing an essential service that has to be going on in Los Angeles right now <laughs> because, because I thought they would shut down all non-essential stuff and there's a guy outside mowing your lawn. That's true. We should find him a thousand dollars. I'm just kidding. That's funny. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, I'm right. listening to the lawnmower guy. I'm saying, well, wait a minute. There he, there he goes. There he goes. Walking right back <laughs> He's and doing his job. Yeah. Um, well, I think normal seed matters. I think common sense matters. I think people should do common sense stuff. If you're outside by yourself, I mean, you should go for walks. You can't go for you walks. You should go for walks in your neighborhood. That's a really good thing right. to do. Okay, right. Any, anything else that we want to tell them about home birth versus hospital right now? And then we can talk about some ways to take care of ourselves during these times. No, I think if people have questions, they know how to reach us. You guys can reach, you know, you can reach me at, through my website at uh, birthinginstincts.com. There's an email section there. You can email me there with By questions. By the way, someone did send a question to your email. 
who told me earlier. Did you, you didn't print out any emails? So I maybe you can look at your email. Yeah, look at your email and see if there's I, a question. I was, sleep, I was sleeping. Okay. So just like at any other time, even though we're separated, um, we want to make sure and do self-care practices. This is always for everything, um, helping your immunity um, is keeping things as low stress as possible, making sure that you're getting really good rest, um, making sure that you're eating really nutritious, clean, healthy foods, um, drinking lots of water. Hi, everybody. Um, and immunity boosters. So for different people, you know, there's not one thing that I would say that is good for everyone, but you should have immunity boosters in your house, things like colloidal silver, um, echinacea. People, when I ask people what they're doing, they're usually doing vitamin C. Garlic and ginger in your foods are really great for boosting your immunity. Um, I tend to have reishi mushrooms and um, oil of oregano. Those are things that I use a lot. Vitamin D is a really good immunity booster, and I've been told that it's really good for lung issues, so that would be a good one to start. But whenever you or your family are feeling kind of under the weather or dealing with something, you should have a stockpile of immunity boosters, and maybe I can do a post later about that to support you with that. But go back to the basics. Rest your body, eliminate or lower your stress. Maybe go on to social media or on to what's happening about uh, you know the most recent updates. Give yourself an hour a day where you dive into that and then you take yourself back out, spend some time with family, do some creative endeavors, take a walk, you know, try not to just have a constant feed of the anxiety and stress of this situation because what that's going to do is it's going to lower your immune system. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't watch the news consistently if you want to watch or, or read something. Set a limited amount of time. Yeah. Just give yourself a small time to do that. Don't stare at your favorite channel all day long. <laughs> okay. I, uh, there are some questions on there. Okay. Great. This is some from, from Jen B. She was a former federal emergency response official. Question's a little bit long, but I'll read it real quickly. My question is, given the data curve that we are seeing when it comes to COVID-19, why is home birth not being given the attention it needs out there? Why are we not seeing the huge solution that home birth can create for the entire system and the flattening of the curve? Or should I say, now that we are, how can we continue to move forward in that progression? Yes, we can go out there and educate and inform for our particular spaces, but why is the medical community powers that be not seeing or seeking alternative birthing options? Talk a little bit about that, about taking birth out of the main hospital and putting it someplace else, or, you know, like I said, having an executive order or a gubernatorial order or whatever it is for each state and saying that insurance companies, if you decide to have a home birth, your insurance company must, must pay for it. You know, you'd, you'd think that it's some kind of um, emergency, right? Because an emergency situation where right. insurance has to has to cover things like How that. Do, yeah, it would, you, yeah, but I'm sure that they, unless they're forced to do it, they're probably not going to do it. She says, how do we get a seat at the table? What, what happens when hospitals are overwhelmed and cannot take birthing individuals? What we're already seeing that is that they're excluding the, all the support people. So, you know, it, it really is interesting to see will, will they ever turn away? I mean, I don't know, does, does HIPAA, not HIPAA, does EMTALA get suspended, which is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Liability Act or something, where you, any person that shows up in the ER has to be seen? Wonder, I wonder. Are you are you thinking that if it gets to a certain situation, they might they might triage and say your situation's not serious enough, and we've got people who have. More and we have limited healthcare workers that are going to do that because some healthcare workers are going to get sick, some are going to not want to be working right now. 
So there's going to be a shortage of it. So we should have like a, you know, they should make emergency things where they can people with, you know, different degrees who get emergency privileges at a hospital. Why couldn't you come to the hospital and take care of your own client there? I mean, yeah, they're not prepared for this sort of thing. And and everybody and again, I think America has too many lawyers. Ultimately, I think that that's one of the biggest problems we have in our country. That's why other countries are like other countries are using uh, hydroxychloroquine. And they're, and they're giving out there. We it, it doesn't have an FDA approval for COVID nineteen, so we in America can't use it yet. So why not just somebody tomorrow signing an order that says the Congress signing an order that says that the FDA now approves COVID nineteen for? But the, but the FDA is so caught up in bureaucracy. It's hard to do things right. fast. I so anyway, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that, is that we have we have a, a monolithic bureaucracy, um, but. I think there will be a sea change. I think that what we talked about is there will be some good things that come out of this and people will see that there are other ways of doing things. Yeah. So I just got an idea from early Ford um, home birth and I'm going to set up a GoFundMe account that people can um, donate to. People who have resources who want to support this can donate to and find a way for it to be able to support um, midwives in getting compensation for those low-income families who qualify or people who aren't working or any of that so I will jump on that today and make that happen because I think that hopefully if we could do kind of a community sourcing that could help some people at least get some ability to be able to access this care the other thing that we didn't talk about earlier in regards to why is it a good idea to switch if we're, not, if we're not thinking just on an individual level about having our loved ones with us and not exposing ourselves to the virus, it doesn't um, take away from the resources at the hospital for people who really are sick and who really do need what the hospital has to offer. So if we're thinking more as a community, right. you know, staying at home and allowing those resources to be for people who really, really need them, if you have the ability to be able to switch um, it, it could be good for that. Yeah, Mary in Jacksonville just just affirms what we've been saying. She says she's in Jacksonville, Florida, and laboring mothers are only allowed one support person during this crazy time. Even if they have a partner, they have to choose between them and their doula. It's rocking our birth community. No, you got to be honest. Like, I think, I, we've t I've talked about this before. I did a live with Ivy a couple years ago, and, you know, when you do informed choice, you give both sides, right? So you kind of have to think about it as any other informed choice that you give. We want to tell people what are the pros and cons of the options. And if you really do see that there is a benefit, you would not be serving your client or that baby by not telling them what you see. Um, and you're allowed to have a bias. Okay. You're allowed mm -hmm. to have your bias. You're human. Just, just be, admit that I have a bias. Yeah. Right. Everybody has a bias. People who people who pretend they don't have a bias are lying. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a bias. So if you sound like you have a bias, just, just be it. honest about it. Yeah. Say in, th in this time, I think that this, my bias toward home birth is very valid. Well, and there are articles. Um, Dr. Fishbein read from um, up to date. Up to date. Can you post that, or it's not something you? Can no, post? you have to. You have to okay. It's proprietary. So, you have to. You have to pay for. It, yeah. Right? So there are articles discussing this choice, and that people are wanting to switch. We'll figure out a way to post that. There are so many, but you can you, you can go. You can click on the CDC website. You can click on 
the uh, uh, evidence-based birth, birth website. You can click on ACOG's website for pregnancy. That sort of thing. Even though you know a lot of people don't just agree with ACOG on a lot of things, a lot of stuff they they don't all their stuff isn't bad. So you use your filter when you when you read these things and you decide what seems reasonable, what doesn't seem reasonable, as you would with any any other piece of information you get from any other source. So there's lots and lots of sources out there. And the World Health Organization, even though I politically don't like some of the things they, they do, they, they do some good. They, they you know some and, and this thing, they're at the forefront of the information, and that's what everybody wants. Because really it's still like we said at the very beginning of this of this um, Facebook Live, it's evolving. And what we say today maybe slightly different 24 36 hours from now yeah so who is this asking you this question mary from jacksonville so mary the other thing that i would say is when i have people who are in my care i say you know people who hire me for a hospital thing i just say i just want to talk about have you considered out of hospital delivery there are people who are considering this choice at this time here are some of the benefits. Maybe have a handout that feels really, um, you know, informative and uses some of the statistics. Say, I just really, you know, it's my job to give you informed consent. And because of the changes in policies that are happening that are going to restrict your birth plan and, you know, all the things that we discussed, this is an option that some other families are considering. And I just feel like I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up as a topic for us to discuss. You have to be honest about it. That's what I think. Okay. Or just thinking oh. I don't have coronavirus because I just spewed. <laughs> you did? You dropped it? I saw a droplet. I got a droplet? I oh, no. catch it. Um, <laughs> Where's my vitamin C? <laughs> I'll get you. I'll get I'll hook you up. Um so I'm no not, more questions. Not worried. So no more questions? No, the, on the email that was the only two questions. I'm okay. sure that there I'm sure when I go home today and I start looking through other social media there'll be tons of questions. But we just you know oh, hold on. Janice says Michigan governor created an executive order to get doulas in the hospitals. I, I can't see the rest of your um, post, unfortunately, Janice. Our community rallied hard to get this, and then it, it, and then it disappears. So I see that you can do that. I mean, you can do that. So contact your state and local governments, and just say that, say, um, Sorry to repeat this, but only reposting my question has been buried. Okay. So you uh, can't Amanda, Amanda, repost your question with just the question, because we only have, like, Twitter volume here. Yeah, it only it says see more, but we can't see more. So just give us a really clear, um, simple yeah, two line question. In 144 <laughs> characters, or whatever. And then we will read it to you. Yes. Um, so no, no, so so again, legislative action is a way to do it because obviously, if they did that in Michigan, that it can be done. That's great, Janice. Thanks for letting us know that change can happen. That's beautiful. See, I want you to switch from a. Yeah, uh, so Amanda, we'll wait for your um, your repeat question. Anybody else have any questions for us that you'd like for us to answer before we sign off? And if we didn't answer your question because we couldn't read it or we were just in a roll and it, and it, it scrolls so fast. There she is. Baby's 35 weeks, transverse trying to turn, want to do a home birth, but need to get this baby to flip. Oh, that's easy. Um, first of all, you can- Stu says that's easy. Well, that is easy. First of all, a, Babies almost never, unless there's something I don't know about your history, babies almost never remain transverse. So your baby will pick a position, either head down or breach. It's really rare. But going going to the Spinning Babies website is a way to get your baby to turn. Seeing a chiropractor to get things to loosen up inside. And then um, if the baby still remains transverse or an oblique position or something like that, going to a skilled practitioner, even at home. Okay, this is, the, this is a really interesting, this opens up a topic. External cephalic version. 
all right, or trying to trying to turn a baby. They're, they've suspended those in many hospitals. Because it's not a necessary. It's not a necessary procedure, and of course, and the, but, and, and, and all the guidelines from all the medical organizations say that, well, it has to be done in the hospital because it's dangerous. I've been doing external versions outside of the hospital for 10 years now. And I haven't had a, I haven't had a complication, maybe someday I will, with an external version, whether it was in the hospital or outside of the hospital. I haven't had one. But there are people who can do that. There are midwives who are really good at it. I'm, I'm really good at it. So look in your community. You can get somebody, if that baby stays that way at 36, 37, 38 weeks, you can have somebody probably, because the transverse lie is probably the easiest thing to turn into a head down position. So you can have that and you can have it outside of the hospital. Check your local community, go to your message boards. That's where you'll find that. So there you go. If it was me, I would advocate for being in labor and seeing what happens, not making a decision prior to labor um, about position until I was actually actively in labor and then have them assess what position the baby is in because a lot can change. We talked on our podcast last week about a baby flipping from head down to head, you know, in labor, right? the other way. So babies do turn. Um, so that if I was delivering right now and my baby was transverse, I would definitely advocate for being in labor before any real decision is made about where we're delivering. And that's for sure. But you could, but also, you know, you can do things to try to get the baby to, oh, to cooperate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't avoid doing those things, but so. I wouldn't I wouldn't let anyone say, oh, you have to have a C-section because your baby's transferred. Yeah, or you can't try and be at home or something like right. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I realized, too, in terms of the difference with home birth that we didn't talk about is postpartum care. Um, with the hospital, you stay in the hospital for a couple of days. Maybe it's going to be less right now. I don't know. Maybe some doulas can chime in about if they're if people are getting um, discharged discharged from the hospital faster because of this. But um, when you're in the care of a midwife or Dr. Fishbein, <laughs> you're like a, a a a category of your own. Elliot calls me an MD. He says that I'm a midwife in disguise. That's what he calls me. <laughs> I love that. You, I like it too. You, you're in our care for six weeks. So we are experts in evaluating mom and baby dyad. So how the baby's thriving, how breastfeeding is going. We evaluate jaundice. We evaluate postpartum depression, um, relationship issues, all of that that's happening around the six-week postpartum visit. We talk about family planning. So that's, are you planning to have another baby? Do you want to avoid having another baby? What are you doing for... Um, Family, you know, what do you, what's the other word? I'm saying family planning, but um, birth, birth control. control. Yeah. Um, so that is all part of what we do when you also deliver outside of the home. So it's not just about the location, although that's what we're talking about because of this heightened experience that we're having right now. But the care is very much more holistic. And the time that we spend with you, either virtually, which some of the visits might be virtually, um, or in person, we're talking about the whole person and we're talking about preventative care. And you know, every single one of my clients that I saw or did virtual calls with on Wednesday cried. Every woman is feeling stress about this situation. And so having a provider who can sit with you and listen to you and talk to you about, you know, this is a scary time to be bringing a baby into the world. And what are some of the concerns that you're having spiritually and emotionally about that? Um, we really do honor that that is an important part of this process as well. So that's one of the other differences. Um, we always do skin to skin. We always do delayed cord clamping unless there's you know an issue right away with the baby where that might 
um, interfere with us being able to do what we need to do. But usually, even if we have a baby that's having a hard time transitioning, baby goes right to mom and we try and do as much as we can, utilizing the mom's skin, the mom's touch, the mom's smell, her voice, because we really do believe that keeping the cord intact and the, um, the, the new regulations for um, neonatal resuscitation actually say that that is supported, is to keep the cord intact. Now he's using his leak water, that can't possibly be essential. <laughs> <laughs> Stu is distracted. <laughs> no, I just, I just think that based on everything we said at the very beginning, uh, we're on, LA is on lockdown. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, I forgot what term. But not my gardener. <laughs> but not the gardener. The gardener's out there doing his thing. Um, so that's a couple other things that came to my mind about the difference between um, the care that we I think provide. you explained it. I think you've explained it very well. And if you, you know, the thing that you again, we mostly have doulas and um, healthcare cord clamping. And, and healthcare workers, yeah, optimal cord clamping. Not delayed. Care. We're when we're changing our verbiage, right, it's right. optimal cord clamping. Birth, is, is, I love that. We're calling it community-based birthing. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's that's really important. Um, so yeah, I think that you've done a great job of explaining what we do, and people can always look and write to us. Um, kind of, you know, whatever city you're in, whatever town you're in, there are doulas and there are midwives. We're I'm sure very right now willing to to do virtual. Uh, Consults probably for free, um, just to give people uh, a taste of what their options are. Yeah. Because you know, if I had to go to the hospital right now to have a baby, I wouldn't be frightened by it. I think it's hospitals are doing a really good job of of trying to keep things separate. But you know, you take it, it's a it's a risk that you don't necessarily need to take, and it goes against everything that. The government and everybody's trying to tell you to do, which is to stay six yeah. feet away and stay away from people and don't do this. And now you're going to a place where there's not only a lot of people, but they're sick. Mm -hmm. So, but I wouldn't, if you have to go to the hospital, I wouldn't be fearful of going to the hospital. I would actually say that. I think that there are, there are cases that I've heard of, again, it's really relatively new, of people going to the hospital to have a baby and coming out with coronavirus. Right. So in, in it's just, it's, so it, you don't have to be fearful of getting the sickness there. What you have to be sort of annoyed about is the the restrictions that are placed upon you and upon your options for birthing, not having your photographer, not having your your doula, not having your your mom, or um, your husband. Well, in your husband, some cases, and in some cases, your husband. Yeah, you know, the people that you want at your birth. Mm -hmm. Right. So. And if they suspect that you're sick, you may be separated from your baby. That's the that's the most recent thing. You're right. Yeah, and if you're confirmed, for sure you will. But and you lose your and, and especially you lose, you're actually very disempowered again. You're in labor. You're having discomfort and and stuff like that. And, and then you're out there. You're having to make decisions as well. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting you're going to get blasted, and you don't have anybody there who's looking out for you, who's sort of stepped back and objective. Right. You're very emotional at that point. And and if they say we're taking your baby to the nursery, what are you going to do? You know, you've got somebody trying to get your placenta out. And you're going to say, no, 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 don't take the baby. And you're going to fight for that. No, it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure that we address the question about if you're pregnant and uh, a birth a birth worker <clears throat> in the hospital, I mean, a, a nurse, how you can protect yourself. Do you have any opinions about that? Oh, if you're a nurse. Yeah. And you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, and you're pregnant. Oh, you know, I, I again, I think that you, well. I don't know enough to answer that question. My, my suggestion would probably be that if you're working anywhere near an area where there are people who are sick, that you just, 
do you, do you take the leave of absence? I wouldn't go in. But if it's just labor and delivery, and you're doing your job, and, and, they're, and they're screening people, you, you obviously are, are more at risk being a healthcare worker, whether you're pregnant or not, when you go into an environment where they can't possibly control all the droplets in the, in the hospital. So you're, you're, you know, those people are very brave. We talked about it at the beginning. You know, they're, they're fighting at the front lines, and they're putting themselves at risk. That would have to be an individual, individual decision based on how you feel. But again, even if you were to catch it, you should remember that, that it's unlikely you're gonna get severely ill, and it's very, very unlikely, there's no data to suggest that you can transmit it to your unborn fetus. So if you need your income, and you need to do the job, and you want to support the, your community by continuing to work, uh, I would probably say that's an individual decision, but you know, do it. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Uh, yeah. Very similarly, to take the precautions right. that everyone <laughs> everyone else is taking. Um, if you can take a leave of absence, obviously that would be great, but not everybody can. So I appreciate that you kind of put that in there, that you know, a lot of people really do need to work. A lot of people are afraid of what's happening financially right now. Um, so yeah, but things are going to change. And um, we, I, I do want to talk about a few things from Silver Lining before we go. Yeah, we should probably... Yeah, we're going to wrap it up because we've been on way longer than an hour. Um, but what else besides the traffic are you are you seeing as a silver lining through this whole thing? Well, I think that when, when, when you know, at first it probably drives people crazy to have their kids not go to school. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I personally, again, again this, this gold waxes into my philosophy of things, but I think there's a lot of... Um, <laughs> That's the, just the, the leaf blower is just outside the window. He's just like blowing the window open. No, I think there's there, there there's going to be things about 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 teleconferencing and about getting your education online. And we're gonna, you know, there's a lot of things about the public school system, the public university system. I'm not a big fan of. All right, especially the cost and the cost of what it's done to a whole generation of kids who who have this immense debt. And they're gonna learn that you know that they can probably get the same degree and same education if they want it by just doing their stuff online. And they're going to be able to do a lot more that way. And maybe the next generation of kids is going to not come out with so much debt, that the universities are going to have to reevaluate how they do things, that the public schools, people may pull back. They may spend more time with their children and find, you know what, this is, this is great. It's great for me, it's great for the children to be being with us. And you find things to do. Whether it's creative stuff, you go outside and you look at ants making an ant hill, or you you collect leaves, or you you do some projects with your kids in the house. And again, when two families are when two people are working, that's a little bit tougher. But you have to make amends for that. Everybody's going to have to not amends. That's the wrong word. Make do. You're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And I think that that ultimately will be a good thing. That people will start to relate across. Like I said, it's metaphorical, but relate across the dinner table. I mean, I think back to my kids, and when they were real little, we sat around the dinner table. We but once did. They, well, yeah, mm -hmm. but once they, but you, you, you still do that. Mm -hmm. But once they were, you know, middle school or high school, or something, we rarely sat at the dinner table. I mean, it was just, I mean, it just wasn't the thing that we, we sat in front of the TV. Mm -hmm. And by the time I, I served myself, they were done eating. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so now maybe you know that that be, that's going to be something that's good out of it. And we're also going to come the idea that. Maybe we'll bring some industries home in America so, so that we don't farm things out, so that we're not so dependent on other things. 
and we'll have to learn to live together and not hoard toilet paper mm-hmm. and stuff like that and realize that that you know we have plenty in this country we do and and we are we are that we are very very lucky in the United States of America because we have um, you know abundance if you if you go to a grocery store in a foreign country and look at their produce section it looks nothing like the American produce section we're very very lucky to have these sorts of things so I think maybe there'll be an appreciation for some of the more simpler things what do you think well Diana just said um, uh, that more doulas are going to get a chance to work with midwives or more birth workers are going to get a chance to work with midwives which and be exposed to home birth and I know that a lot of doulas really love being at home yeah so they, they much I, yeah they, they you do. know um, I try I try and also look at a more broader spectrum for myself and my own life and um, I always feel like we need to have a reverence for nature I feel that with birth in respecting the the natural rhythms of our body I feel that about our earth um, that you know we need to honor and respect um, how we treat it and that it's a symbiotic relationship and you know, there are times when these natural disasters come through and it's like, it's like mother nature is resetting. Yeah. Like kind of taking back what has, what we've kind of taken advantage of. And so in some ways, if we look at just nature, we don't think about ourselves as human, but we think about ourselves as animals, you know, in an ecosystem, if something becomes overpopulated, that's the wrong word, but overpopulated, um, there are things that will happen in the environment to kind of diminish that population in that area. And so when I think about this virus, I think about it as mother nature, kind of like, you know, we have to kind of think about, and this is all how I've been living my life for a very long time. We have to be really conscious of the resources that we're utilizing, how we respect the planet and how we um, work together with the water and the air and each other to have it be a more symbiotic relationship and I think it's been out of whack for a very long time so yeah, you know, one of the things I've heard and it'll balance with this and one of the things I heard yesterday discussed I don't know if it was at the birth or was it from the birth monopoly thing but but the people staying home the air quality it's changing <laughs> around, the world, yeah. around the world is changing. The yeah. water is changing. I've heard that animals are in places, like someone said that in Japan there was deer around. You know what I mean? So I think that try and think about things a little bit larger as well in this respect. It's hard when you're concerned about your loved ones and you're worried about you know your livelihood. It's a survival mode, but when we're talking about self-care, really going inside, going back to your meditation practices, if that's something that you're open to, um, nature walks, you know, like really, I went on this beautiful nature walk and everybody was keeping their distance, which was great. But you know, it was just so wonderful to be out there in the quiet, hearing the birds chirping and kind of looking at the world from a perspective of, I'm, there's no virus here. I mean, there probably was, but like, you know what I mean? In terms of what I was seeing, it was like, the world is still happening. The ocean is still moving. The you know the earthworms are still doing their job. So, getting out of this intensity and getting back to the basics, I think, can be a real yeah. And, and, and this virus is just a recurrence of other viruses that even in just our limited lifetime that have come. And this reaction to it 
has been more intense, maybe because of more social media, maybe because of more politics, who knows? I mean, 11 years ago we had SARS. Many more people died from SARS, and yet they didn't stop the NBA, from, right. from, and they didn't close movie theaters, and they didn't do that sort of thing. So I don't know why it is now. People, you know, people have many different theories about that. It doesn't really matter. Um, ultimately, I think this is a good place for for us to sort of wrap it up and say <laughs> that, yeah, reevaluate how what's important to you uh, overall, and look at and look at life. And, and we have to make some changes now, and and we don't have to go back to the old normal. You can come to a new normal. Yeah. So and, and maybe, like I said, like we talked about, the whole purpose of the thing is that maybe that people will understand that birth is a process that's not an illness, and the hospital is designed to take care of sick people, and it's very that's where they're very good at that, especially in you know our country. Yeah. But pregnancy rarely is an illness, and so why are we why is everybody going there? And we can reevaluate that. Yeah. So we're gonna sign off. Thank you for all of you who stuck with us the whole time. I'm sorry about the Instagram glitch. We'll, we'll get better at this if we do it again. I saw some people saying, please do lives, and we've been talking about it for a while. It's kind of fun for us to just be sitting here and chatting with you. Um, continue to send us questions. Do your spiel. That you oh, do with to, all uh, the podcasts. How to reach us? Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, my big spiel is that <laughs> we know that we're, we're inundated with things that we can listen to and watch through many different podcasts, many different YouTube videos, all that stuff. We're just honored that when people will spend time with us because you have so many choices. So it makes us very happy that you that you listen to what we have to say. We don't have all the answers. We just have opinions. And uh, a lot of it, obviously, my, my opinions come from common sense and experience. Um, but we really love that you do that. And you know how to reach us. You know, you can reach me at, at uh, uh, how do you reach me? <laughs> oh, AskDrStew at gmail.com. Uh, and clearly, uh, at, no. Birthing Bliss. Birthing, birthing Bliss. Midwifery for your Birthing Bliss? Birthing Bliss Midwifery on at Instagram. Hot, oh, what about Hotmail? What's the Hotmail? Oh, birthingblissathotmail.com. Yeah. Um, so send us your questions. I don't have my cheat sheet. I can't. I'm not reading off the cheat sheet. Your comments. We will have our regular podcast released next week. We decided to delay it because we're doing this Facebook Live. So some of the stuff that we talk about may be totally obsolete by then. Probably. Um, we're doing our very best to um, just share our, our experience and the information that we're getting. If you found this useful, let us know. Maybe we can do an another one in the near future. We're wishing that you all um, have a very blessed day and that you spend some time taking care of yourself and everybody stay safe. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>